Mentis to visita in place inferna gratia quetu quiasti pectora veni creato spiritus mentes tu visita in place superna gratia quetu creasti pectura veni creato spiritus mentes tuorum visita in place gratia Good morning, High Life Church. Um, welcome to our broadcast uh, this morning. Uh, you know, the Bible says that this is the day that he has made and therefore we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. The Bible says that in everything we should give thanks for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus concerning us. You know, this last week um, in our church community, um, we suffered a bereavement, uh, the loss of a dear uh, sister, um, Esther Shangunaga, who went home to be with the Lord uh, just last week. You know, one of the great things about the Christian faith is that we grieve, um, but we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. Uh, because the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So even though we're going through a time of real grief um, and our hearts are extended to her family, to Tunde, um, to Ore and uh, Ife, uh, we thank God for Esther's life. We thank God for the blessing that she has been to us. Uh, and we look forward to that day when we will be together again, never to depart. So we thank God because this is the day he has made and, and we can rejoice in all things because it is from him that we have come, it is in him that we live and it is to him that we return. We're going to get into the word this morning, um, but before we do that, uh, I'd like us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we're just so thankful. We're thankful because you love us with an everlasting love. We're thankful because your spirit is with us uh, and therefore all is well. Lord, we're thankful because you declared our end from the beginning and you said that our purpose or your purpose in us is a purpose of peace and not of evil to give us a hope and a future. So, Father, we are thankful for that in the name of Jesus. Uh, and now as we spend a few minutes in the word, we ask that the spirit of truth will come as the spirit of wisdom and revelation to guide us into all reality. Holy Father, we recognize that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Holy Spirit of God, come give life to the Word. Uh, let what is ministered not just be words of a man, 
but the power of the living God that transforms lives. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to go straight into the word in Joel chapter 2, verse 7. You know, speaking about the army of the Lord, the prophet Joel made the statement. He said, they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in their own column. Though they launch between the weapons, they are not cut down. That is the army of the Lord. That's the army of the Lord. They don't break ranks. They walk as one. They don't push each other. They, 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 they advance toward the enemy. And you know, the Lord is the captain of this army. In fact, in the same chapter of Joel, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. The Lord gives voice before his army. This army is the army of the Lord. The New Living Translation of that verse puts it this way. It says, the Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. Hallelujah. This is the army of the Lord. It's his army. His shout is heard ahead of the army, and we, the army of the Lord, follow his orders. You know, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples before his departure, in Matthew um, chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. On this rock I will build my church, I will build my ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word there for church. Now the ecclesia was an assembly of Greek citizens. And this assembly extended the Greek empire. They extended the Greek democratic practices and culture throughout Greece and all conquered lands. It was a group of people, a group of Greek citizens, but they had authority and they extended the Greek empire. Um, they, 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 they extended Greek practices and culture everywhere Greece um, had conquered lands. So Jesus said, I am building my own ecclesia, my own ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against this ecclesia, this church. The word prevail there is a Greek word, katusquo, which is used in the negative sense here. Um, uh, uh, and in other words, he's saying the gates of hell will not stand strong against the church. In other words, hell will not be able to withstand the church he is building. It is an advancing church. It is an advancing army. You know, over the last few weeks, we've examined some characteristics of this advancing army. The army advances first and foremost through accurate sight. We've looked at this. As the army of the Lord, our field of vision must be wider. We do not allow the world to squeeze us into its own mold. Like Moses, uh, documented in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, we see the invisible. We draw our sight from the center of all reality, which is the throne of God himself. It is from the perspective of the throne that we see all things. And evaluate all circumstances and situations. So it is an advancing army. It is an army that advances through accurate sight. It is also an intoxicated army. As we saw last week, we drink from the river of life that has its source at the throne of God. Our hearts is the waterway of the rivers of God into the earth. It is through our hearts that God flows into the earth and gives life to every system and gives life to human beings across the earth. We are not 
intoxicated from the wine of the world system. Okay, I need to repeat that statement again. We're not intoxicated from the wine of the world system of values. We are intoxicated by the life of the spirit and values of the kingdom. You know, we get intoxicated by ingesting large quantities of heavenly substance. By ingesting and staying with large quantities, uh, absorbing large quantities of the word, uh, uh, and drinking large quantities of the river of life. And, and we, are, we are intoxicated when we hang around people and places that serve the good stuff, the wine of the spirit. So we are an army that's advancing through accurate sight, and we are an intoxicated army. So today we're going to expand on this theme. Expand on this theme. Other elements of the army of the Lord. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. I'm going to be reading um, the first five verses of, of chapter 6, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And then I'm going to read from the Message Bible. Number six says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If, I say it again, if any of the people, either man or woman, take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic substances or other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or any other alcoholic drinks. They must not drink fresh grape juice in case some wine got into it. They must not eat grapes or raisins. As long as they are bound by their Nazarite vow... They are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine, not even the grape seeds or skins. They must never cut their hair throughout the time of their vow, for they are holy and set apart to the Lord until the time of their vow has been fulfilled. They must let their hair grow long. Now, let's look at the message Bible translation of the same passage. It says, God spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them, if any of you, man or woman, wants to make a special Nazarite vow, consecrating yourself totally to God, you must not drink any wine or beer, no intoxicating drink of any kind, not, not even the juice of grapes. In fact, you, you must not even eat grapes or raisins for the duration of of the consecration, nothing from the grapevine, not even the seeds, not even the skin may be eaten. Also for the duration of the consecration, you must not cut your hair. You must not have a haircut. Your long hair will be a continuing sign of holy separation to God. Wow. So as we see here, the people of Israel had a decision to make. You know, this was the whole uh, commonwealth of Israel, the whole, the, the whole nation of Israel. But there was a place that God um, had for them that they did not enter automatically. They had to enter into it by choice. You know, all Israelites were God's people. But he was saying that there is a place in me that you can only enter into by vows. I won't impose it on you. He says, they have to do it by choice. Man or woman, anyone can do it, but it is something you have to decide to do. And he said, whenever you choose to take the Nazarite vow, for as long as you choose to take it, you know, you can choose to take it for a week or a month. During that time, you cannot touch anything alcoholic or any form of it. And you can't cut your hair. You can't cut your hair. Yeah. Now, now, why did God do this? What was it about not cutting their hair? What was it about uh, not touching alcohol that was important? And what was the benefit of taking this Nazarite vow? Why would anyone do it? So that's what we want to probe into this morning. 
Now, the first thing he said was, don't touch your hair. Don't cut your hair. Now, now we have an understanding of this if we look at, at the New Testament. Uh, there, there is uh, a, a comment that Paul made in 1 Corinthians 11 that helps us understand the reason for this. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 3 and 5, in verse 3, Paul says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And then in verse 5, he says, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaven. Now, now uh, as you know, if you read the rest of the passage, uh, the Apostle Paul was talking about the hair being the glory of the woman. And, and, and that it, it was not right in their custom to cut their hair because she was dishonoring her head. Now, let me bring some clarity to this. First and foremost, when verse 3 says that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man, uh, it, strictly speaking, it's not saying that the head of a woman is a man because, um, you know, I mean, the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the reason why this verse is commonly misunderstood is because in the Greek, the word for woman and wife are the same word. It's the Greek word um, um, gune, uh, and, and the, the Greek word for man and husband, anea, are the same. Now, strictly speaking, he's actually speaking about relationship or family relationship, relationship between husband and wife. Man is not the head of woman, but a, a, a wife is under the authority of her husband. Just like Christ is under the authority of God, even though they are equal. Amen. Now, he's saying here that the way the wife demonstrates that she's under authority is, he says, don't touch your hair. Uh, and it was significant in their custom. Because the hair is a sign, the hair is a sign that you are under authority. In this case, you are under the authority of your husband, just like Christ is under the authority of God. So what you were demonstrating, or what they were demonstrating through this Nazarite vow, was that they were under the government of God. They were under the government of God. Anyone that took the vow, for as long as they took the vow for, were demonstrating that they were under the government of God and under the authority of God. You know, as Christians, and we need to admit this, you know, we, we tend to censor, uh, you know, the Lord's authority over our lives. That shouldn't be the case, but we tend to do this. You know, in fact, he becomes our Savior first, and over time, he slowly becomes our Lord. It should happen instantly. But in our experience, over time, we slowly, um, truly give our lives over to him uh, and submit to his authority. We tend to determine how far we want to go, how much we want to commit to this thing. Um, but here, under the Nazarite vow, what they were saying was, if it was for three months, for the next three months, I'm under this vow, God, you have absolute control. I'm now yours. If you say jump, I say how high. That is why the hair must not be touched, because you don't have authority over anything concerning your life. During the time of that vow, they had no authority over themselves. In fact, they didn't direct their lives. They couldn't direct their thoughts. God had to have absolute control. They would not do anything that God did not sanction. You know, that's why people chose how long they would be under the vow. Because we're not used to doing things like that for a long time. Now, why did God say they shouldn't drink alcohol? Well, alcohol is something that when you take, it begins to control you. It begins to determine what you say. It begins to determine how you act. It begins to affect what you say and how you, you, know, how you behave yourselves. And so God is saying that you must not be intoxicated by anything other than me during the time of this vow. Hallelujah. You are under my complete authority. 
and you are under my complete intoxication. Every Israelite could come into that place. But not everyone did that. It was a choice they had to make. It was a place that was entered into, not by birth, not by citizenship, but by choice. You know, the Nazarite vow speaks about a surrendered life. The Nazarite couldn't do what he liked. Couldn't do things the way he liked. He had to demonstrate that he was under God's authority and under God's government. You know, the life, knife of a, uh, uh, the life of Nazarite was the life of a dead man. Every aspect of his life was now under God's hands and under his authority. He was not worried about anything. You know, the Bible says that he who has died has been freed from sin. The Nazarite was freed from fear because everything was now in the hands of God. Yeah? In fact, in our lives today, the way the enemy controls most of us as Christians is through fear. You know, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that Jesus through death came to destroy him that had the power of death and also to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It is the fear of death. It's, the fe it's fear that the enemy uses to keep us bound. So the, the Nazarite had no fear of death for his life was fully entrusted to God. He was, everything was under the Lord's control. Remember the three Hebrew children, Shetrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace. And what was their response to Nebuchadnezzar? They said that God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar. But even if not, we will neither serve you or serve your gods or worship this image of gold. A Nazarite has given his life to God. Everything is now God's. His money belongs to God. His time belongs to God. All his fears belongs to God. He's under God's total authority. Wow. Now, why would anyone want to take the Nazarite vow? What was the, the benefit of taking the Nazarite vow? Um, why was the Lord giving them this invitation and extending this opportunity to them? Let's look at the benefits of the vow. Um, let's look at Genesis chapter 49. In, in Genesis 49 uh, verse 26, we cut into the blessing of um, Jacob over his children. Jacob had come to the end of his life and he was speaking. At the beginning of the chapter, he said, Come, children, let me tell you what will befall you in years to come. He was about to prophesy to them. Uh, and here, he, he prophesies on all the children. Now he's prophesying over the life of Joseph. Uh, and let's read just verse 26. Speaking to Joseph, he said, The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. You, you, you know, the glory of God, the, the, the blessings of God, um, God goes from glory to glory in our lives. So, so um, Jacob was saying that the blessings of my life has exceeded the blessings of my ancestors. And then he said to Joseph, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they, that's the blessings, shall be on the head of Joseph. And on the crown of the head of him, who was separate from his brothers. These blessings shall be on the head of Joseph. And on the crown of the head of him, who was separate from his brothers. You, you know, when you study the word, especially um, the, the books of Moses, you would see that... In the, in the books of the law, um, God gave Moses laws for things that already existed in him as principles. So what God gave Moses as a law in numbers, given the example of the Nazarite law, was already a principle and dimension of God which existed before Moses came. 
And we see demonstrated here in the blessing on the life of Joseph. Uh, and you know, we see this often, where things that are already principles in God, during the time of the law, where were introduced to Israel as a law, but they existed before the law and even after the law. A, a good example of this is, the, is what we call the law of the tithe. In, in Malachi 3 verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yes, you have robbed me. Um, in what way have you robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, even this whole nation. Uh, and then he, he expands on the law. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me herewith, if I'll not open the windows of heaven unto you and pour you out a blessing um, such that there's no room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And, and when a lot of times we, we read this passage and people share this passage, they say that you should pay your tithes so that the, the devourer is not rebuked, uh, so that the, re, the devourer is rebuked over your life. Now, this is the law of the time. But, but you know, you, all you need to do is look at, for instance, uh, the life of, uh, of Daniel and, and, um, and Ezekiel. I mean, where did they pay their tithes to? Um, did it look like they were living lives that, um, that was being devoured? Um, clearly, the, the, the law of the tithe um, during the law just expressed something that had always existed in God as a principle. The principle of the tithe was there before Moses ever came. Even in the Garden of Eden, when God spoke to Adam, he said, you can eat of any of the trees of this field, but this tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Demonstrate that you are in obedience to me, that I am your source. Everything else is yours, but don't touch this one. So the principle of the tithe had always been there in God as a dimension in God. We see it in the life of Abel. Abel, by his action, he offered a sacrifice that was accepted to God. Hallelujah. And that sacrifice was a, a sacrifice that showed God's worth to him and showed God's value to him. He gave the first of his, um, of his lambs, the fattest, the first, priority. So the principle of the tithe had always existed in God before it came as a law in, uh, in the books of Moses. So the New Testament believer, for instance, lives in the principle of the tithe. So we pay our tithes, but not out of fear that God will rebuke, uh, God will, you know, the, the, the uh, enemy will devour us. We pay our tithes because we love the Lord and we are embracing that principle of sacrifice and honor. Same with the Sabbath, for instance. Uh, the Sabbath was a law, um, it, you know, on the, on, the, on, the, on the Sabbath day, which was the sixth day of the week, um, they would, they would um, uh, on the Saturday, as it were, they, they would observe the law of the Sabbath. And, and you know, anyone could be at home observing the law of the Sabbath, but still being worried all day, etc. But we know that the principle of the Sabbath existed before the law of the Sabbath. Because we know that the Lord rested uh, on the seventh day. Hallelujah. In like manner, we don't, we don't live under the law of the Sabbath, but we, we embrace the principle of the Sabbath. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 says that there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God ceased from his. So you and I are enjoying the Sabbath rest of God. Every day is a Sabbath for us because we, are, we, we, we live our lives by faith and we, we experience and enjoy the Sabbath rest of God. So we are living in the principle of the Sabbath, not the law of the Sabbath. In the same way, the principle of the Nazarite is a dimension in God which the Father was extending to the people in the book of Numbers to come into and participate in, but that principle and that dimension has always been there. So let's go back to this blessing on Joseph. Among the 12 sons, Joseph was distinguished. Now, now things don't happen by accident. Say to your neighbor, things don't happen by accident. Wherever you're seated, say to the person, look them in the eye, and say, things do not happen by accident. Now, we see here that Joseph was distinguished. 
Why was he distinguished? The verse says, The blessings shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. You know, the word Nazarite in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word Nazar. Now, Nazar means separate, i.e. consecrated. So, if you were reading a portion of this verse in the Hebrew, it would read this way. The blessing shall be on the head of him who was Nazar. The head of him who was under the government of God. That is why God could use Joseph. And that is why he was distinguished because he was a Nazarite. You see, every time God needed a game changer, every time God needed a game changer, he would always raise an unusual person. Joseph was an unusual person, destined for great things. As you track the life of Joseph, you see that when his purpose was revealed, he held the economy of Egypt and Israel in his hands. He held the destiny of Israel and Egypt in his hands. He was an unusual man. And God used him in an unusual way. And God could use him because he brought himself under the government of God as a Nazarite. As a Nazarite. If we keep studying the Old Testament, we see this theme repeated time and time again. During the time of the judges, after Israel had been under Philistine oppression for 40 years, and it seemed like all was lost, God sent an angel to the house of Manoah. And the angel said to his wife these words, found in Judges chapter 13, verses 3 to 5. Turn there with me this morning. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. We understand that under the government of God. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. God wanted to use a man in a way through which his judgments could have a free course. Through which those waterways of the spirit could flow easily and freely. So from the point of his birth, he was dedicated to be a Nazarite. Samson was an unusual person. He was a perpetual Nazarite by divine order. He was a Nazarite all his life. He was to live in that dimension in God all the days of his life. So God could have free expression through him. No one was like Samson. People didn't understand him. The Spirit of God wore Samson like a coat and executed his judgments through him. At the point of his death, he killed all the rulers of the Philistines in one day. He was a great judge of Israel. These things don't happen by accident. Say to your neighbor, these things don't happen by accident. The Nazarite vow, the Nazarite vow. When we look at the transition from the time of the judges to the time of kings in Israel, God had to raise a mighty transitional leader in the name of the prophet Samuel. Samuel was a great leader. His words never fell to the ground. He wielded immense authority in heaven and on earth. He instituted the order of kings in Israel. Kings of the earth feared Samuel. Heaven respected Samuel deeply. You know, to show the level of the respect the father had for Samuel. Speaking to Jeremiah 400 years after Samuel uh, had lived, the Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15 verse 1, He says, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind will not be favorable toward the people. Cast them out of my sight, 
and let them go forth. He said, even if Moses and Samuel, hallelujah, wow, wow, what, what respect God had for Samuel. He had authority in the courts of heaven. Say to your neighbor, these things don't happen by accident. Samuel was a perpetual Nazarite, which is why God had a free course in his life, which is why the anointing of God could flow freely and his words did not fall to the ground. When Hannah, his mother, who was barren and oppressed by, um, by her husband's other wife, Penina, she stood before God in Shiloh. And in 1 Samuel 1.11, she said these words. She said, the Bible says that then she made a vow and said, O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor, no razor shall come upon his head. Samuel was a perpetual Nazarite. And therefore, he occupied that place in God. That dimension in God. And therefore, God could have a free course. And the anointing could flow freely in his life. Let's bring this into the New Testament. Let's talk about the life of John the Baptist for a few moments. The Bible calls him the greatest of the prophets. You know, Jesus speaking about the, John the Baptist in Luke 7, 28. He said, for I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. He says, among men, those born of women, there is not a greater prophet. Wow. What a testimony. There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He got to introduce the world to the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the prophets. Hallelujah. You know, when Gabriel came to Zechariah, his father, and was speaking about this son he was going to have, in Luke chapter 1 verse 15, the angel Gabriel said to his father Zechariah, speaking about John the Baptist, he said, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hallelujah. So, John the Baptist was a perpetual Nazarite. Hallelujah. I want you to see, we're not talking about wine or, or haircut styles. We're talking about what they represent. A, a, a people that will not be intoxicated with anything other than God. A people who bring their lives completely under the government of God by choice. A people through whom, as a result, the Holy Spirit can have a free course. A place in God that is entered into by choice and entered into by vows. You know, John the Baptist ended the old and brought the new. He stood like a colossus between both testaments. He identified the Christ. The greatest of the prophets. Lived perpetually under the vow of a Nazarite. Lastly, let's talk about the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul the Apostle was an unusual man. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was given the revelation of the new creation. He received that uncovering, that insight into the implication of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ on the believer, like no other apostle. Now, let us read a curious statement that is made about Paul the Apostle. In Acts 18, verse 18. I'm going to read the New King James and then I'll read the New Living Translation. Acts 18, 18. It says, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Cancria, for he had taken a vow. He had his hair cut off at Cancria, for he had taken a vow. Now, 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 Paul was a New Testament saint. He knew who he was in Christ. 
The, the New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, there he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, making the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria. Paul knew something. He located himself in that place in God that makes the difference. The Nazarite vow. He lived as a Nazarite. Hallelujah. Somebody that brought his life under the complete lordship of the Lord. Somebody that refused to allow himself to be intoxicated by anything under the, uh, apart from the Lord. Somebody that lived a surrendered life. You know, now we can better understand his statement to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, which we have referred to over the last couple of weeks. Paul speaking to the Ephesian saints, he said, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I believe that this is an invitation for us to take our place as Nazarites in the kingdom of God. You know, I'm sure through our brief study, you understand why a lot of us lack the power and distinction um, that is our heritage and our inheritance in Christ. Um, why, why a lot of us lack, are finding impediments in the flow of the Spirit um, in our lives. Why there are impediments for full expression of the Spirit through our lives and our walk. There is a dimension that you and I must press into. You know, God is saying in this passage that nothing must intoxicate us except Him. Nothing must intoxicate you except Him. You must not be intoxicated by the world, by its values. Only He shall intoxicate you. You must be under His government. He's saying that you are either mine or not. You can't go halfway. Hallelujah. For God, for Him to have a free course in our lives, it must be all or nothing. All or nothing. As we stand at the end of this age. Because the Bible says that we are the people upon whom the end of the ages have come. As we stand at the end of this age. And a new age is on the horizon. The father is again raising in the earth an unusual army. He's raising a mighty army through whom he wants to show up and show off his glory. He is again extending his invitation to his people. Again, this army, like Joel says, is a mighty army. It's an army of mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone matches information. And they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. This is the army that God is raising in the earth. It is a volunteer army. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 110 verse 3, it says, your people... Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Yes, I, I read that correctly. It says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. This is an army of Nazarites. We are not conscripted. We volunteer. Do you know you can be in the kingdom and yet not take your place in the army. You can be in the church, and yet not take your place as an overcomer. You can make heaven, and yet not occupy the throne, and the place of authority, the Father ordained for you to sit before the foundation of the world. That does not have to be your story. There is no time to waste. It is time to repent. It is time to hear the voice of God. It is time to take your place. This is a Nazarite army. This is an army of bond servants who are free but choose to live a life of loving servitude to their king. An army that choose to waste their lives on their lover and break their alabaster flask of oil uh, of fragrance and pour the fragrance of their lives in the worship of the master. This is an army of eunuchs. 
Jesus himself speaking in Matthew 19 verse 12. He said there are eunuchs who were born from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who, were, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Spiritual eunuchs who will never use the king's, the king's bride to serve their own pleasure and their own interests. Like the, like the servant of, of Abraham who, who, went, who went to woo Rachel on behalf of his, his master's son. He will not exploit the bride. He will preserve the bride for the king. An army of eunuchs who do not do their own pleasure, but the, they, they protect and serve the, the interests of the king. An army of Zadok priests, priests of his presence, whose lives are defined by ministry to him, not ministry to people. This army is rising. This army is rising and your invitation is being communicated to you now to take your place. It is an army of highwaymen who will walk the earth, who will prepare the way of the Lord, who will make straight in the desert a highway for our God. They will build a landing strip for the Lord made up of a bountiful harvest of souls. They will be a part of his company in preparing a glorious church. For his arrival. That is the army that God is calling you to be a part of. By embracing the Nazarite vow in your heart. You know the last verse of scripture I'll read today. Is found in the book of Revelation. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2. We referred to this passage last week. But I just focused on a particular part. I want to focus on another part this morning. As we know. Um. In Revelation chapter 2, the Lord begins to speak uh, to seven churches. He visits seven churches. Uh, and he tells them, uh, I, you know, these are his pre precious pastors and his precious people. And he tells them, he gives them an evaluation. It's like a, 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 having a preview of the judgments of God. May we embrace the judgments of God while we still remain in the realm of time. Hallelujah. That we may adjust. Because it is the corrections of discipline that put us on the path of life. The Bible says. So he speaks to the first church. This is the church of Ephesus. And in, in verse 4 of the, uh, Revelation 2, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. Wow. Now, this is Jesus the lover. He's telling you what he has against you. Yeah, do not believe a theology that, that only, uh, only teaches you the kindness of God and not his severity. Okay. Let us, let us see well. We are seen well. Hallelujah. Uh, we, we embrace the lamb, but we also embrace the lion. That is love. Amen. He said, I have this thing against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly. I'll remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Hallelujah. Now, now, this was their impediment to become overcomers. This was their impediment to, to, uh, to achieving and receiving that place of exaltation that God had prepared for them, their place of high purpose that God had prepared for them before the foundation of the world. He said, you've left your first love. Remember where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come and remove your influence, remove your impact. Uh, I will disqualify you. You will disqualify yourself. From the high calling of God. Now this is a backslidden church, isn't it? You can tell that. But, but then let's look closer at this church. Because he didn't begin in verse 4. He began in verse 2. Look at verses 2 and 3 and verse 6. In verse 2 he said to the church, he said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not and have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Wow. Now, now <laughs> this sounds like a great church, doesn't it? I mean, they had some great things going for them. They were hardworking. They, they, they had enough spiritual gumption to test 
every spirit, even those who came with apostolic signs, they revealed them for the false apostles they were. They were patient. Uh, they persevered. They labored for the, for the sake of the Lord. They were not weary in well-doing. In verse 6, it says, it says that um, they, they, uh, they, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, whom Jesus always hates, also hates. They aligned himself. Nicolaitans were a sect that um, um, came from uh, um, Nicholas, who was one of the, um, uh, one of the deacons in, in Acts 6. And, alleged, and apparently, they, they lived, they, they lived um, on restrained lives. They lived on restrained lives. And, and um, they, they, they um, you know, there was a, this sect was, was growing in the church and was causing so much corruption. Uh, and people were living on holy lives um, in this sect. And Jesus hated that. And, and they, they hated these people. Uh, they, they, they challenged them. They resisted them, which was good. Um, but, but then, in the middle of all this, even though they labored, even though they, see, they, 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 uh, they, they labored and, and they, you know, they resisted those who resisted the Lord, they had ceased from their first love, which produced first works. Everything else was, was meaningless as far as the Lord was concerned. Everything else did not, um, did not guarantee their qualification for their high purpose. You know, our first love is not the assignment. Your first love is not the activity. Your first love is him. Your first love is pleasing the master and living a life surrendered to him. That is the heart of the Nazarite. Those who do not deviate from the first and greatest commandment, which is loving the Lord, loving the Lord with all their hearts, with all their souls, and with all their might. These are the only people whose service is done to him and through him, not to men. These are the Nazarites through whom God can, can, can freely lead and freely guide. These are people who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. These are people for whom nothing has, uh, has a hold. The prince of this world comes and has no part of them because they are fully under the government of God. That is the invitation that God is making to you and I. That is the army that is going to advance in this time. It is a Nazarite army. It is a Nazarite army. I want us to bow our heads for a word of prayer this morning. You know, God wants us to bring every care to him. Every care to him and surrender all to him. It is time to demonstrate that we belong to him. We demonstrate that we belong to him by not allowing ourselves to be intoxicated by anything else apart from him. We demonstrate that we belong to him by bringing ourselves under his government. Hallelujah. You know, one of the ways in which we allow the world to intoxicate us is by bearing our own burdens. You know, the Bible says that we shall cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. Those decisions that you are making, where you are disobeying the Lord because the cares of this world, the decisions of riches and the loss of other things have entered in, where the, the priority of your heart is not the kingdom first because you are afraid. What about my house? What about my family? What about my future? He's inviting you to be a Nazarite today. Cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Repent. Cast that care upon the Lord. Cast your future upon the Lord. And make a decision that the kingdom first, the kingdom only. Hallelujah. Begin to say to the Lord that you open your hearts to bear his burdens. He said, come to me all you who labor and are heavily laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my yoke. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Oh, let us begin to open our hearts to receive the Lord's yokes. Begin to say, God, I want to receive your yoke. 
I, I come forward as a Nazarite, as a highwayman. I come forward as a, Nazar, a, 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 a Zadok priest. I come forward as one who chooses the life of a eunuch. I come forward, O God. I open my heart to your yokes, Father. I open my heart to your yokes, Father. I, I open my heart to your yoke. I will bear your yoke as long as you bear them with me. Hallelujah. I come and I embrace my first priority, which is loving you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength, which has been a minister in your presence. I accept the invitation to be first and foremost a minister in your presence. But Lord, this morning I ask for your grace. I ask for your grace this morning. Father, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice. I ask for grace. I ask for grace for myself. I ask for grace for your people. As we see, as your spirit opens our eyes to see, oh God, let, let our sight come with grace. Hallelujah. Let our sight come with grace. For Lord, your word is like water. That waters our souls. Uh, let our, our receiving of the word water our hearts. Let it come with grace, O oh God. As we see, let us observe to do. Hallelujah. Let us observe to do. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. We dedicate our lives to you. We live the life of a perpetual Nazarite. We take our place in the Nazarite army of the Lord. Lord, we give you thanks for your help. We give you thanks for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, repentance means that you, you face a different direction. You face a different direction because you have received revelation. Um, you know, repentance is not about remorse. Yes, that comes in acknowledging sin. But repentance is actually taking steps in another direction you know as you press into the spirit of repentance the spirit of god will show you what to do he will show you what steps to take he will show you what adjustments you must make hallelujah uh, he said my yoke is easy my burden is light so just your your receptivity to make an adjustment will open your heart to inspiration of the holy spirit yeah he will he, you might say lord i, I want to love you more I, don't, I know I don't love you enough. Admit that. Repent of that. And say, Lord, help me to love you more. Hallelujah. Help me to love you more. Help me to love your work more. The Bible says that he's the one that's at work within us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Lord, let your pleasure have, have a free course in my heart. Uh, Lord, I ask for strength. The Bible says that he will, he, he, will, he, will, he, he will strengthen us with might by his spirit in our inner man ask the lord for strength admit to where you're at hallelujah admit to where you're at look to him look to the cross it is that process of repentance that causes inspiration to come say lord i i, I want to be that nazarite i want to have a i want your spirit to have a free course in my life uh, lord i want to live under your government i want to be intoxicated by you alone teach me how to do it yeah that is what repentance is about and the lord will do that because he desires to do this even what more than you desire to do it yourself. He desires for you to have that high calling and experience that high purpose and live forever with him as a co-heir, um, ruling and reigning with him through all eternity, more than you can even ever imagine, okay? Well, we've come to the end of our broadcast. God bless you. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week and um, look out for announcements. Um, the lockdown uh, is being lifted. Uh, look, check out our Instagram page for details of our plans as a community you know life will never be the same again we're entering into a new normal hallelujah uh new structures of the kingdom are, are being downloaded we are the courageous people who are willing to move in whatever direction the lord is leading and the lord is leading us as high life so um, um be open and uh, there's some changes afoot um as we embrace a new day and uh, just expect great things check out our instagram our website for all the information about plans over the next few weeks and months. God bless you. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday and the rest of the week. Amen.